tonight, please, to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 4. 2 Kings, chapter number 4. For several weeks now, in fact, it's into the months, actually. I don't know quite how many. We've been uh, preaching a series entitled, The Lord God of Elijah, found in chapter 2 of this book, in verse number 14, that statement made there. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And so really to get the picture, we went back to the beginning of Elijah's ministry and we have seen that come and go and uh, Elisha steps on the scene. Elisha, of course, had served as Elijah's servant for a while and now uh, the Lord removed Elijah and uh, put Elisha in his place. And here in chapter number four tonight, we see a continuation of the manner in which God used Elisha. And I want to speak to you tonight about sorrow, shortage, and supplies. Sorrow, that's common to all of us. Shortage, sooner or later, we all find ourselves in a position of need and supplies. We're going to read the first seven verses. Second Kings 4, verse number 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thy house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. And then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all of thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shall pour into all of those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there's not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. This story has been special to me for more than 50 years, and there is a reason for it. It has reminded me of how God is able to supply the needs of our family. Uh, the second church I, I pastored was in a little place in Fairgrove, Missouri, a population of 400 and less than 10. Just a little over 400 people. We started there in uh, just a little small building. It was next to a flyer shop on the main street, which, uh, if I remember right, there's just one stoplight. That was the only one in town. And uh, it wasn't long before we filled up that 
that little room that we were in. I was, at that time, I was working uh, a full-time job for, uh, for an engineer, civil engineering firm. And uh, we bought, uh, I believe it was five acres of land out just on the edge of town on a hillside, we didn't have any building. All we had was property, and we went out there with machetes and double-bitted axes. Nobody had a chainsaw, and we began to cut down timber. We built a brush arbor. That's what we met in Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, and uh, every other every other activity we had because that was all we had. And uh, so finally, we. Uh, we managed to save up enough money to buy some some concrete blocks. And uh, we got enough money to pour a foundation, and we started laying some concrete blocks. And about that time, as we were trying to build that little old building, uh, some of the members said, Brother Stone said, I don't know, I, I don't know how this is possible. We'd love for you to be able to devote all of your time to just being the pastor of the church. And, of course, I'm certain they knew that was the greatest desire of my heart. And there was absolutely no way that they could possibly pay me enough to even pay my basic bills, let alone take care of my family. It, it just wasn't humanly possible. And I'll never forget going in. I told them, I said, I'm going to resign and trust God to meet our needs as a family and devote all my time to pastoring this church. And that's what I did. I went in, I resigned. My boss was a good friend of mine. I'd worked at him, for him at another place. And uh, he basically said, you've lost your mind. There's no possible way that you can you can live on, on what they're giving you. It's just... You can't. How are you going to survive? And I said, I don't know. I'm just going to trust the Lord. Well, uh, he wasn't a Christian, so he he had no understanding of of faith in the Lord whatsoever. But I resigned. After that, time and time again, the next five years I spent there, time and time again, I had dear preacher friends. I could name them. Many of you older folks here would know the preachers I'm talking about. They were some of my best preacher friends all in heaven now. And I can't tell you the number of times they tried to persuade me to start selling insurance, to buy some houses, start with one, and buy some rental houses and get some property and so I could, you know, be able to help support my family better and build up a nest egg and so forth. And every time my answer was the same, God called me to preach and to pastor this church and I'm going to devote all of my time to doing exactly that and I'm going to trust God to supply our needs. And, and, and of course, we didn't have life insurance, health insurance. We didn't have anything, basically. But I, all of that time, I, and I'm certain this surely must have scared Bev to death sometimes. She never acted like it, but I can't imagine her not being a bit frightened. Like, what What if you fall over dead? And the way I preached back then, that was pretty likely. I, 
I preached in Central Baptist there in Cincinnati when I make an appointment and knock the whole top of the pulpit off. And I, as I've said, Monday morning, I couldn't open either of my hands. They were just swollen up. And, and so I put a bit more energy in it than I'm able to do now. But uh, and I've heard people say, you're going to have a heart attack, man. And, uh, and Bev must have thought, of, what if something happens to you? And I had thought about it, and some, and I, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I felt a little bit guilty about it. What, what if I leave her and all of these kids, you know, in the lurch, and they don't have any support? And each time the Holy Spirit just comforted me that I'll take, I'll take care of it. You don't need to worry about that. You just keep preaching, and that's what I've tried to do over the years. But I'm saying all of that for a reason. This is one of the stories in the Bible that has been such a blessing to me in that regards. I've heard Bev comment on this story of it giving her a calmness and assurance that, uh, that God will provide. And we don't have to understand how, but He will. Now, let's look at the story, and that'll make more sense when we really get into it, because you're going to see this is a preacher's wife. Here in verse 1, we see the emergency, and there are three things about that. First of all, whenever we think of this emergency, the first thing we need to do is to analyze it. And, and I say that because reading the Bible is good. When I first got saved, just like you know, a lot of Christians, I, I immediately started reading through the Bible. We had a plan, read through the Bible in a year. Well, I tried to, you know, do it more than once a year, and boy, I was just reading chapter after chapter after chapter, and one day I realized I'm just reading words. I'm not really digesting anything as I go through it like this, and uh, it's a whole lot better to slow down and to study what you're reading instead of just reading the Bible. Reading the Bible's fine. I believe you ought to do that. Get out in a rocking chair or a front porch swing at some of the best therapy in the world and take your Bible and sit there and read your Bible 30 minutes or an hour. That's great, but that doesn't take the place of really digging in and studying the Bible. So whenever we come to a verse or a text or a story in the Bible, we need, we need to get in and investigate it and analyze it, study it. And as we do, we see three things here. As we analyze this, first of all, we see death. Now, that has to do with things that we can't change. I mean, death is final, humanly speaking, unless God intervenes and raises someone from the dead. I've never met anybody like that, but I've met a lot of folks that would have been dead if it had not been for God's life-giving power, though. So however you look at it, you know, God is the one that gives life, but but humanly speaking, death has to do with those things in life that we can't change. And that's where this woman finds herself in a situation with something that she can't change. But there's not only death, there's also debt. That's an obligation that we can't meet. And we've all been there. This woman, no doubt, was sat there and was wringing her hands and wondering, what in the world am I going to do? You know, the debt collector's at the door knocking on the door. He's going to take my two boys. I'm going to lose them. So now, in addition to the, to the death and the debt, there's desperation. That's due with questions that we can't answer. She, she didn't have a clue. At that point, she didn't know what to do. 
But notice here also in verse number one, not only do we see this as we analyze it, those three things, but notice how this emergency was announced. It says, first of all, it was fervently. She said, it says that she cried. That Hebrew word means to weep uncontrollably. It's not having a little tear run down your cheek. I mean, this woman is crying a bucket of tears. She is broken hearted and as she is pouring out her heart in regards to this, it's fervent and notice that it was announced frankly also uh, because she wasn't living in denial. Uh, she wasn't pretending that everything was all right when it wasn't, you see. And we need to learn to be honest about our problems. I'm not saying that we need to share our problems with everybody. You know, we all ask, well, how are you doing today? We don't really expect an answer, and we generally don't get an honest answer, do we? Oh, I'm doing fine. Sure you are. You know, you know, you know what I mean. But sometimes when it comes to our problems in life, I'm talking about things we can't change, obligations that we can't meet, questions that we can't answer, we, we've got to be honest about those problems, that that's the situation that we're in. And, and, and here she announces this problem to the man of God fully. She didn't hold anything back. She just laid it all out there and said, this is the way it is. So now we see the emergency as we would apply it to our own lives, and that is when we encounter problems that we can't solve, we have needs that we can't meet, we have questions that we can't answer. You know, what do we do? Here is a preacher's wife. And I've got to believe human nature never changes and human needs never vary. It's been that way since the fall of man. And that being the case, I've got to believe that this woman is thinking, why in the world did this happen to me? Why me? Why this? Why now? And, you know, those are questions we all ask sooner or later in our life. We come to that place. It's like, Lord, I love you with all of my heart. I'm serving you with all of my energy. I'm doing my very best to please you. And it seems like my world is falling apart all around me. I just don't know what to do. And we, we all find ourselves there. And that's the situation this woman is in. Now, notice the inquiry in verse number 2. We see the emergency, but notice the inquiry. And now Elisha begins to speak. And he said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Now, we could call this an examination because he is forcing her to face all of the facts. And notice as he makes this appeal and he asks two questions, what shall I do for thee? Remember, so far she's done nothing but relate her problem. She hasn't made a request. She hasn't said, preacher, you know that my husband was a preacher. He was your servant. He loved the Lord, he feared the Lord, and now he's dead, and I don't know what to do. Would you please help us? Would you give us some advice? But she hasn't made any requests yet. She just relayed the problem. Now, I understand that. She was probably a bit reluctant to ask for help. 
But you know, sometimes we fall into the trap of just talking about our problems and relaying our problems to, uh, to other people without ever making any request. And of course, the best place we make our request is before the throne of grace when we take them before God. And, and I'm not saying she didn't pray. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us all of those details or anything. But I, there's no evidence of any request being made here that I see, unless I overlook something. She's just relaying the problem. This is the problem that I've got. So he said, you know, what, what do you want me to do? What, what shall I do? And then notice he asked another question. What hast thou in, thy, in, in the house? Now remember, her mind is on what she lost, what she didn't have. And Elisha is changing her perspective. And you know, it does us good to take an inventory in our lives and consider our resources. During Ike, as I've mentioned before, we were out of our home as a result of flooding for 54 days. And then during Harvey, well, that was a whole nother story. Uh, over four foot of water in the house. All of those things, you know, that can never be replaced that you've collected uh, over the years, that's all gone. Tim and Cherie pulled up out there uh, in the street. I, I think it was about three, th about four in the morning, probably something like that, trying to get us out of there. I told Bev to go, and I, I said, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay because all I could think of was all of that stuff. It wasn't that deep then. And I thought, well, maybe it will quit. And uh, it didn't. It didn't. It just kept coming up. We got out of there. But as, as you know, like a lot of people, we lost a lot. It's just natural for us to focus on what we lost. And sometimes, you know, we use that phrase, oh, we lost everything in the flood or we lost everything in the fire no you didn't you didn't lose everything not if you're a child of god you didn't lose everything sometimes you know we tend to overemphasize what we don't have and we forget about what we do have and so he's trying to get her to change her perspective she's just focused on the fact that boy i don't have anything they're knocking on the door I, I can't pay the bills i don't know what i'm going to do they're going to take my sons and so to change her perspective he said what, what do you got in the house here's the answer verse two not anything Now, some of us would have stopped right there, probably. Not anything. We don't have a thing. It's all gone. But then she added this, save a pot of oil. Now, apparently, she has lost everything else except her sons and this, as she calls it, a pot of oil. That was a, that was a significant object, by the way, because that word translated pot there speaks about an oil flask. It's not a great big giant container of some kind. It was an oil flask, oil that was used for anointing oil. Remember, her son has been one of the sons of the prophets. And so he has this anointing oil. It, so that makes it significant. But it was also sacred in that it was a type of the Holy Spirit. And there's so many times in our life we think about, we think about our needs and our problems and what have you. 
And we forget about this, the fact that as a child of God, the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells within us. Think about that for a little while. The same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead lives 24 hours a day in each and every one of us. Boy, what great potential that gives. And, and yet so many times, and, and I look at this story and I think, you know, that must have been a slighted object because she overlooked it to begin with, I think. She said, don't have anything. And I think, oh yeah, there's that flask of oil that, the, that he used. We do have that. And especially, I think, in our Baptist churches, uh, there seems to be almost a reluctance to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think, I can't remember who said it many years ago, that the fact is, you know, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the average church, they could go on operating just as they always have, and He would never be missed. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a sad thought to think, but I'm afraid that it's true. And we need to realize our dependency upon the Holy Spirit. This was the saving object. This is basically all she has other than her boys, but it was enough. Remember, it's all she has, but it's enough. That was all that was needed. What have you got in the house? Well, don't have anything but this flask of oil. And from that flask, she received all of her needs. As I said this morning, and and I, you know, look, folks, I know there are a lot of times certain verses in the Bible that you probably get maybe tired of me making mention of, but that's okay. One of these days it'll sink in and you'll, you'll realize why I mention those verses so often. But one of them is Ephesians 3.20, where it speaks about the fact that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And that... That just blows my mind away. I, I preached the entire sermon just on that one, one little verse. And, and boy, you need to just sit down for a couple of hours and really, really analyze that verse and to think about all that is implied in that verse of what God is able to do. And like the old song says, if he, if he did it for others, he can do it for you. That's why, that's why studying the Old Testament is so exciting. That's why Paul said in the book of Romans, you know, he said these things that were written, you know, aforetime, he said they were written for, for our learning, our admonition that we might have hope. And we look back here at a story like this and it just some way, it, it just generates an attitude of hope in our heart that God did that back then. God can do that today. Now let's go on to verse number 3, down through verse 5. And here's the exhortation now, as the preacher takes things in hands and uh, in his hands and he begins to give her instructions on what to do. Verse number 3, then he said, Lo, borrow thee vessels abroad of all of thy neighbors. I, 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 you probably ought to underline that word all because I, I'll mention later, I just wonder if they went to every single neighbor. I don't know, but that's what he said. Go to all of thy neighbors and notice even empty vessels borrow. Here's another key phrase. Not a few. Not a few. 
Then he says, after you do that, verse 4, And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. And thou shalt pour out into all of these vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, shut the door upon her and upon her sons, and brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. Notice the requirements here. There, there are three things that jump out at me when I think about the requirements set forth here. And the first one was the provision of room. He said, go out and borrow vessels. Borrow vessels. And so the supply was going to be limited only by her faith. Borrow vessels. Not a few he said, go to all of the neighbors, borrow vessels. Anybody, anybody that's got a vessel like that, go borrow vessels and, and uh, then pour out. Provision of room. You know, so many times we put limitations on God like Israel who limited the Holy One of Israel because of what? Because of their lack of faith. So many times that we envision the need. We think about, all right, as a church and ministering here in this community, we need this and we need that. We were talking the other night about building a big first-class gym over there or educational (coughs) building and some plans that we've got (coughs) running in our head. And and, uh, hopefully that will become a reality uh, in a short time. I don't mean this year, but in the next few years, uh, we'll see God do something like that. And maybe you're thinking, well, boy, I don't know if we could do that or not. No, well, we probably couldn't, but God sure can. God can. We're limited only by our faith. So there's the provision of room, but notice there's the preclusion of all of the other activities, and I might add, and associations. There in verse number 4, notice what he said when thou art come in. Notice he said, shut the door. There are times that we have to shut the door on the world and shut ourselves in with God. I remember the first time many years ago, and as soon as I got a grip on what Paul was saying, I preached a sermon entitled, When Sinless Things Become Sinful. You know, the greatest enemy of the best is not the worst, it's good. Because so many times, you know, we wouldn't do that which is the worst, but what we do is we get so occupied with what we call good things that we neglect the best things. And we let, you know, we just we get occupied with every, uh, other things and we let them crowd out the best things in life. And there are times that we just have to shut the door, as it were, on the world. I think back to that time uh, shortly after I surrendered to preach. And I, I know I, you do this when you get older. You, yeah. And I'd always wanted a, a bird dog. I mean, I really got, I had a beagle to hunt rabbits with. But I mean, I wanted a bird dog to hunt quail with. And I, I couldn't afford a good bird dog. And finally... We had a, a old red-headed deacon there in the church, a young man. He was a, about my age, actually, and he had one. I he, I got the best bird dog I've ever seen in my life. I was so happy to get that bird dog. And then I was playing AAA fast pitch softball. We 
traveling around. Finally, I told them, look, I can't be gone on Sundays. I got saved. I surrendered to preach two months later. I, I, I've got to quit. I'm just going to play on the church softball team. Well, it wasn't long before I realized, look, I can't keep doing this stuff if I'm going to be serious about preaching. And so I, I had to get rid of some baggage. In that case, it was playing ball and quail hunting. And and I did. And there, look, there are times this woman could have said, man, you haven't seen my to-do list, preacher. I've got too many things to do. In fact, there's some folks coming over this afternoon, you know, and, you know, he said, after you borrow those vessels, I want you to come back home. I want you and the boys to just go in there and shut the door. Nobody's welcome. Don't let anybody interrupt what you're doing. And then that goes to the third aspect of this exhortation, and that is the pouring out of the oil. You know, that teaches us we've got to be willing to make use of what we've got. We, we, we get by giving. She could have easily said, wait a minute, this, this is all I've got. I'm not going to pour it out. What good would that do to transfer it from one container to another container? That's not going to be, benefit anything. But he said, just pour it out. I, I, I don't care how much faith she had, that had to be a shocking moment whenever she poured it out and filled that vessel and still had enough to fill the next vessel and the next vessel. And at some point in time, she's got to reach that wow moment, you see. No, notice her response now to the requirements. Verse 5, so she went from him. It had been real easy for her to say, Preacher, you've lost your cotton-picking mind. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. You know, I, I've never heard of anything like this. Aren't we going to have an all-night prayer meeting or something or like that? You know, Preacher, I, I think there's surely a better route to take than this. Or I want to get a second opinion. I, I, I think I, I want to go down and listen to that preacher down there at the first church and listen and see what he has to say about it. And she didn't do any of that. She just responded, and notice she obeyed immediately, as we see here in verse number 5. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons. She obeyed immediately. Let me tell you, delay is dangerous. If God's will is best like we say that it is, why wait? Why wait? We ought to obey God immediately. If we don't, it is disobedience. Well, somebody said, well, I'm, I'll, I'll do it later, preacher. I just, right now is just not a good time. No, and the devil will see to it that there's never really a good time. Do it now. That's what she did. Obeyed immediately. No, she obeyed explicitly. And by that, I mean she followed every minor detail. She didn't ask any questions about how reasonable this plan might be. And she didn't question the preacher's motive or his methods or anything else. Uh, he said, do this. That is exactly what she did. And she did it inclusively in that she did everything that she was told to do. So many times we just, you know, we partially obey the Lord. Now the Lord wants us to do this, you know. And, and we do so in part. 
We don't just give ourselves entirely to it like she did, but she did exclusively, implicitly everything the preacher told her to do. And notice what happens in verse 6. Here's the endowment, as I call it. And it came to pass when the vessels were full, the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And I've got to be wondering what's going through her mind when she hears this. He said, there's not another vessel more. That's it. God filled everything that she made available. And I, I, I can't help but wonder if she ever wished that she had, you know, got more vessels. You see, God blesses us in proportion to our faith in Him. If we have great faith, we can expect great blessings. And God honored her faith. And He'll honor our faith also. But surely she must have wondered to the boys. You know, there was another neighbor down there at the end of the road. And I, I, I was getting kind of tired when I got down there, Mom. And I just decided I've had enough or I've had all that I can carry, you know, right now. And so I, I just stopped there. And so many times we stop just short of the point of blessing in our life. Now, look at verse 7, and this is the encouragement that comes from it and kind of wraps everything up. Notice what happens, verse 7. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Now remember, her need is critical. And he says, notice, pay thy debt. The, the immediate need that she had was met. Pay thy debt. Now that's taken care of now. That was the immediate need because, I mean, they're, they're about to take the boys. And now, thank God, she can pay the debt and the boys are safe. But notice, also there is a need that is constant because after that, he says, pay the debt. Notice he says, and live, notice, of the rest. What she did, what God did in response to what she did, assured her not only of the immediate need being met, but also of her future need. Now, maybe you noticed I skipped a few words in that last phrase I quoted, and I did it intentionally because I want you to see this last thing, and that is the fact that her need was collective. He said, you know, go pay thy debt and live thou, notice, and thy children. You see, there's more people involved in this than just mom. They benefited from what she received. And let me tell you folks, listen, if others are not blessed as a result of our life, we have failed miserably. Because we have been blessed to bless. There in Genesis 12 and verse number 2 where God's speaking to Abraham and He tells Abraham, He said, I'm going to make you a great and a mighty nation, boy. You know, Abraham had to have been thinking, boy, I've got to see this. I don't know how this is possibly going to happen. But God said, I'm going to make your seed a great and a mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed 
said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. And, and it's the same way with each and every one of us. You know, we sing that song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. That's a good thing to do. But I'll tell you, as we count our blessings, it ought to remind us of our obligation to let God use us to be a blessing to somebody else. And I was talking to Brother Richard about this this position, and and uh, it's so amazing the way God works. As we look back over the years, when we none of us even knew. Well, certainly, I'm, most of us I don't think anybody knew Brother Richard. And it so happens that back whenever the church that originally bought this property and built these buildings, uh, at least before we did our construction, he, he was on the building committee over there in the last construction project, if I remember, at the gym and what have you. And so after that church went by the wayside and another church bought the property and and Second Baptist, they uh, decided uh, they didn't need it anymore, so we purchased the property. I had no idea that Brother Richard was going to be involved, and uh, he didn't come with the package, what I'm trying to say. And so he and Carol, they made plans to go somewhere else. I mean, they didn't know us from Adam. But little by little, some way or another, God led them to, to join here. And so now when it comes down to that crunch time, whenever we need somebody to, you know, to take care of the properties and what have you, uh, the very man that helped design it is here. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point is, when it comes down to accepting this position, he let you know in a heartbeat that it's not about what money we give him per week. It's not about that at all. It's the desire of his heart to serve the Lord and to be a blessing and to reach people in this community. Now, I just used him as an example, but there are a lot of men and women right here tonight that feel the same way. I think of that old song that... Uh, the little fellow with no arms, no legs. Help me, Kathy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're getting old too. <laughs> In the first church I pastored, and this fellow had, this fellow had already graduated from the University of Texas. No arms, no legs, but he graduated from the University of Texas. Well, God had called him into ministry. He was singing with the Dixie Echoes, one of the big famous quartets that traveled around and made a record with them, in fact. And But God led him to, to go to Baptist Bible College. And I, I got acquainted with him. And I, I'd just been pastoring there a little while. And I said, hey, I'm pastoring out here at Pleasant Hope, Missouri. How about you coming out? And he did. Drove himself out there. No arms, no legs, but he did. He got there, he played the organ and played the, the guitar. No arms, no legs, but he did. And uh, the one song that he sang that it just really hit home, and I, I had it on a record before the flood that he had made. It was, Jesus, use me. Please, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. And oh, 
what a blessing that that guy was. He later married and they had a child, in fact. Look, folks, we can all look at ourselves and say, how could God possibly use me? I don't have any great talents. I don't have this. I don't have that. She said, all I've got in there is that flask of oil that he used to carry. That's all I've got. Then she realized, with the preacher's help, lady, that's all you need. Because God's on your side. Let me tell you tonight, you give God all you have, regardless of how small it is, and you determine that you'll let God use you to be a blessing to others, and you will be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. Isn't it good to serve a God like that? Who's not only able, but He's willing. Amen? Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, tonight how our heart thrills to be able to look back in the pages of Your Word and see the great things that You've you've done way back then. But then, Lord, it blesses our heart to just even look around and and to see Your handiwork in the lives of men and women today and the, the difference that You've made in their lives and as a result of that, the difference that they've made in the lives of others. God, like the old song tells us, make me a channel of blessing. May that be our heart's desire tonight to leave here saying, Dear Lord, help me to trust You enough to obey Your Word, to do whatever You say, that I might be a channel of blessing. Help us to be like that dear woman and to so follow Your will for our life that our children might be blessed and live according to what You've provided. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand as we sing.